Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Ashwin, CTO and co-founder of ExcelData.io, and we discuss how to attract top talent and make their work meaningful. Challenges Ashwin is confronting as he 2x and 3x's his company size, and putting yourself in the shoes of the customer as an engineer. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. is the Modern CTO Podcast. So yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you first get interested in technology? Oh, that's, yeah. So yeah, I'm, you know, let me go chronologically. Yeah, I'm Ashwin. I got trained as a uh, electronics engineer, actually, and then realized I was not, terrifically good at it, right? And as a young graduate, had some interest in technology, I would say, you know, um, especially computers and programming, but nothing really, not really passionate about it. So I wanted to do a little bit more theater and and acting, maybe, you know, (laughs) things like that at the point in time. That's why your headshot looks so good. Uh, I, I I don't know most, <laughs> you know, but, but but I I never thought you know I would be a programmer, right? So I did I did my engineering, tried a couple of things here and there, and um, at that point in time, actually, I graduated somewhere 2005 2006. So kind of started talking to friends and you know programming a little bit, and then got involved in it. Went and did my masters in, in IT. Uh, it's also from here and started kind of working at a company called ThoughtWorks. Right? ThoughtWorks is this global consulting company, right? And I did a bunch of things there. So learned a lot, especially um, you know, early days of programming, learning from you know, working for different accounts and enterprises as you know, global consulting company of sorts. And about 2012, um, 2011, 2012, I said, hey, I wanna you know, go do something on my own. So I started with a couple of friends from university I started out a company, which at that point in time was into social media monitoring, right? That was a big thing, 2011, 2012. So we had a lot of companies which come in. And essentially, Twitter used to have a fire hose and you could, you know, listen to that fire hose. And then you could run things like sentiment analysis. And then you go, you know, different brands and you tell them, hey, you know what? If somebody says that I drank Coca-Cola and it was not fizzy enough, I can let you know, right? And... We tried that for about a year, year and a half. And, you know, what I realized is that probably um, two things. One, good friends don't necessarily make good business partners, right? Good colleagues. And the second thing is you got to be, you know, not just the timing of it and not just the talent of it, but you also got to look at, you know, the market, right? So at that point in time, a lot of this forward-looking social media monitoring kind of market actually existed just in the U.S., right? There was not much demand for it in a, in a market like uh, in India, in, especially in Bangalore. So we kind of shut that down in about a year or so. I started again, you know, I, I was pretty sure that I don't want to really go back to a job. So um, I moved to Europe. I spent about five years in uh, Berlin. I used to live uh, in the middle of Berlin and I ran a consulting company through which I worked with uh, multiple companies, mostly as an architect, right? So I worked in e-commerce, I worked in banking. And through that, I kind of got back to some of my old friends and started working again at Hortonworks as an architect, um, where I you know, started working with my current co-founders again. 
we did a lot of work on on big data systems you know making it more reliable um how to connect uh, hybrid cloud which is kind of trying to come up at that point in time and um at the point we kind of realized that there's a lot of companies who invest in data technologies you know building data pipelines invested in technologies like hadoop but it the problem still is of one of operating it right it's either a talent shortage or a tool shortage or they don't really know they bought this you know system and they don't they know how and how to operate it so we kind of came up with this idea that hey you know we kind of do what datadog did for microservices or new relic did for microservices we do the same for data pipelines right from an observability monitoring operability perspective started the company in 2018 and it's been three and a half years now you know we have done we've been fortunate enough that number one you know we got some really good people join us early on and that helped us in getting some early customers here and our early customers were like really uh, well known enterprises right so our first customer was ge like four months after starting up and then you know, phone pay walmart you know bbs bank telecom companies in asia so we have kind of worked with we've been lucky to work with kind of the enterprise level companies with our observability platform that we built early on and now kind of you know evolving into uh, with the current growth and investment kind of expanding into more um, observability across clouds uh, especially for modern data stack you know systems such as snowflake databricks that ecosystem right so that's been kind of the journey from then to now and you know to the years have kind of evolved from largely being a programmer then being an architect/consultant and into now a uh, CTO so so this is kind of first for me you know managed a big team it was largely like solo one or two people right um and and now it's we are like 140 people so wow. it's been quite a quite a trip for me yeah that's really cool so what was um i mean it's it's you said it's only been like 3 years and you went from zero to 140 people what has been like a big challenge for you in the scaling of that growth that's a you know great question i think everybody would agree um you know two or three things one is the technology space itself right depending on what you're good at through your career right um you would probably choose a space in which to operate in and um out of all the possible uh spaces you could do a startup in enterprise technology and data technology is generally hard right and not just in in kind of finding a good product market fit you know that means talking to customers talking to enterprises talking to really large some of them slow moving some of them fast moving enterprises and figuring out what would make sense as a product as a service as an offering to them and the second is trying to find you know people who would join this mission with you right and in the current market especially you know covid and post covid recovery and the huge influx of kind of capital into startups there's been this is like a huge talent war and it's now kind of whoever can hire the best will win right in general in startups so you see this just across almost all sectors all types of startups you know whether they're doing data you know they're doing something in saas or they're doing web3 i think this problem all of us face uh, face right now is is the shortage of talent and the you know having people join you to build something 
especially in the long term, because these things take time, right? So like you said, it's been three years. Um, you know, we have a, a view that uh, anything meaningful would take a little bit of time to build, uh, to verify, get value for customers, right? Um, and having people come in, buy into this mission and stay with you for that time and, you know, stay excited and hopefully not leave you because they're good board has been, I think, the single largest challenge. The tech is hard, but I think one of the learnings I've had is, you know, being a CTO is as much of a people problem as much as it is a, you know, just pure technology sort of problem. Absolutely. So how do you attract the, the top talent? What's what's working for you in that space right now? Yeah, so we tried a you know, bunch of different strategies. So the first few people who joined us were, you know, colleagues we knew from a long time, almost friends, right? So we've been in the industry for a while, made friends along the way. People who worked with us in Hortonworks and other companies who kind of understand data and in general, a bunch of people who can work well with each other. And then, you know, post some of the seed financing and Series A, um, what we try to do is to kind of, you know, try everything, right? Uh, throw the kitchen sink at it. Try to attract people on LinkedIn, you know, get those licenses, ask for agencies to, you know, find your developers, even try to hire in different geographies, right? And uh, some of them, some of that was successful. But um, I think what I've learned is most of the time, it's not so much about, you know, what compensation are you giving? You know, what are your stock options and things like that? Um, if you look at it from a candidate's perspective and a, and a talented programmer, right, um, she or he is essentially looking for, for, for in some sense, meaning, right, in, in their day-to-day. And I always joke around that the number of programmers who are, you know, highly paid, most of the time a desk job, free lunch, excellent offices, who just complain about their jobs. It's, 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 it's so, you know, frequent in our industry that there's this churn even in the best of the companies. And that's because I think a lot of people, when they start work in the tech industry, um, have, are also looking for some like meaning and right. In, in work, right? So what do you do on a day-to-day basis and how does it make a difference, right? In, in whatever context they're in. And I think what has worked for us is I translate the domain that we have been working on, right? Which is this thing called data observability, which is, you know, a new term, which we're trying to, you know, it's a practice which we're trying to um, bring to market. It's, it's still a, quite a technical term, right? And it means a lot of things. But to translate that into meaning for a person who has probably 10 choices, right? So I thought about, hey, you know, why is data so important? How are enterprises looking at it? And why is this, you know, the opportunity, you know, probably of your lifetime, right? To create some value for yourself and for everybody, you know, customers and all the stakeholders. Versus another startup which says, hey, Web3, DAO, DAO, we are reinventing finance for the entire world, right? So for for a talented programmer, you just have to find kind of the best way to fit meaning into the next three to four years of their lives. And, And more than anything else, I think that brings in some success. Now, the caveat is that it's not easy to do it at scale, right? So you you can't hire 50 people this way. And so even now, 
I mean, hiring is um, a challenge and we get, we, we, we are really picky about who, who we get, uh, but we make sure that kind of they are aligned to what we want to do and they're in for the long term. Yeah, that's super important because I, I mean, I know it's pretty common to kind of switch jobs every one to two years for engineers. And uh, yeah, like you said, with a long-term vision that doesn't really work on your end if, if that's what they're doing. But so I'm not super familiar with data observability. Can you tell me like what is the problem that companies are having when they come to you for a solution? Okay, um, so I'll explain it in a very simple you know manner. So observability itself is kind of a new term, right? And you know our industry kind of works on these every once in two years. You gotta bring in uh, a new way of looking at maybe an existing problem or extend something and largely the industry works like this and observability is a kind of an evolution of uh, systems monitoring right so you had Nagios and a bunch of other systems and what we said is hey you know everybody is going to now build systems on top of scalable infrastructure such as aws gcp and others and it's probably not enough that you know you know about what's going on in your systems when there's an emergency, right? So you, you get an alert saying, hey, your disk is now gone. It's already gone by the time you get it, right? So now you've got to have this whole operation where wake people up who know about it, and then hopefully you fix it, and then your website shows up something like, hey, we are down for a while and we'll be back. That's That's been the pattern for, for a long time. So observability is a way to kind of, you know, put enough probes into systems so that you just don't get informed of it when things go bad, but you essentially know the health of your system. You understand what's really going on, right? So that if your disk starts misbehaving, you probably know because there's a big dashboard in your office which tells you what's the state at this point in time, not when something severe happens. And over a period of time, I think um, the way we build applications and mobile apps has been, you know, it's largely consolidated. You say, hey, you got to do smaller services, individual responsibilities. Uh, we write using containers and, and we you know send it into something like a Kubernetes or, a, or, or um, into the cloud in, in some deployment environment. And, and even the observability for these systems is kind of, you know, now it, it's a standard stack, right? So you have Prometheus, you have Grafana, you largely are monitoring uh, your web sessions, you're monitoring your database connections and you're looking at, hey, you know, at, at you, you have all your events, number two metrics, logs, and, uh, you know, traces, telemetry data going in. And what, an, what a NOC engineer or a site ops engineer sees is a, a set of dashboards, which at any point in time can tell them the health about, health of their application, right? And that's what New Relic and Datadog do, essentially. Uh, if, you, if you look at in the last five to six years, there's been an explosion in data technology itself, right? So Snowflake, Databricks, Spark, um, even Hadoop and Friends, right? And, and you know, Starburst and Dremio is a huge explosion in general uh, availability of data analysis and people using data to make real-time applications. So if you go into a bank's website and you say, hey, I'll give you a five minute, the, the bank will give you within five minutes, your eligibility for a loan or for an insurance. 
And what they're doing is essentially, you know, making, um, looking into a, into a data system, into a data lake to churn a lot of data and, and take this decision. Now, if you want, if these systems are so important to your business, yeah, because your business is now so data driven, then it's important that you observe and monitor these systems just the way you observe and monitor your front ends and your mobile applications and your backend services, right? But the knobs that you need to turn in data applications are entirely different than the knobs you need to turn on a you know microservice or a backend application, right? You you might not be so interested in hey what's my connection limit what's my pool limit what's my disk right but you might be interested in hey did the data move correctly did it come on time is it the right data on which I can actually take action right and so since the knobs we need to turn are different on the on the data side right so what we we wanted to do as a company our hypothesis and our um, effort has been to build an observability system for data engineers who build you know, data infrastructure. So data lakes, lake houses, data warehouses, data pipelines, machine learning systems, and figure out two things. One, what is that they want to observe and how can we actually go ahead and build it, right? So our customers typically tend to be larger enterprises who have huge investment in data-related technologies, right? Whether it's machine learning, on the cloud, on-prem, doesn't matter, have, you know, petabytes of data, terabytes and petabytes of data under management on which they run different workloads. And they want to understand the state of these systems. And we have kind of, over the last three years, custom built a lot of applications, connectors, probes, which can actually get this information um, into some sort of dashboard, which is actually. Okay, so is it like, making the data understandable to the rest of the infrastructure to be able to operate on it and, and turn the knobs? Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's, that's, that's you know, in the ballpark, right? So let's assume you wrote a microservice and, you know, you, you put some logging in, put some probes in, every time it goes bad, right, you get an alert on your page duty saying, hey, your request per second is going down. People are getting time for not force on your website, right? As opposed to what we do on the data side, if you were using our software, it will tell you, hey, you were expecting 10,000 rows to be loaded and a, and a job to be run in about five minutes, but you know, 5,000 jobs loaded and your job didn't even run, right? And that's going to impact downstream system. So the outcomes are similar that you are monitoring a mission critical, business critical system, but the knobs or the, the meters you're looking at are different between data systems and you know uh, applications okay cool so can you tell me about your the three products the the, the pulse torch and flow yeah uh, like i said right so ours is a more enterprise focused uh, platform right so we typically have been working with uh, larger companies and the way a lot of you know let's say data engineering teams operate is that the data plane, right, where the data moves in through is independent from the infrastructure on which you operate. What I mean by that is you could take the same data, load it into a, you know, a database, you could load it into a snowflake, or you could pump it into a relational database. So with something like a snowflake, what we're saying is that, hey, I don't need to install anything. So it's cheap for me. I don't need to operate something, but I can pump in a few terabytes of data and run ad hoc queries. 
So it's cheaper than hiring an entire data engineering team and run it. So that's really, you know, um, what we want to do. And since the most of the data pipelines are designed with this architecture where the infrastructure, the data, and the orchestration is different, right? So we thought the, the right way to attack this problem is to build a solution for each of these, right? So Pulse is focused towards infrastructure and platform, right? So it's as simple as saying that, hey, if you're running your workload on Spark, then we have the probes to monitor Spark. If you're running it on Snowflake, then we have the probes to monitor Snowflake. What does monitoring Spark mean? Hey, am I you know, running it correctly? Is it parallel? All the recommendations that you need to make sure that you write when you write a Spark program and your infrastructure is tuned correctly, we make sure that we can observe all of them. And then you take the right decision whether you are you know, getting what you paid for in terms of infrastructure at all. The second bit is the data itself, right? No infrastructure can work well unless you have the right data moving through it, right? So let's say you loaded data from your uh, database into Snowflake and all the last names were gone, right? You would never know unless you are also looking at the data. So as data moves between these systems, right? As you load data from system A to system B to system B to system C, eventually for consumption, you know, you also got to look at how this data is doing. And so there are knobs you can look at, for example, is the data valid? Am I you know, comparing two tables together? Has my average age in my table you know, shifted from 35 to 65, right? Which is impacting my algorithms. Those um, aspects is kind of observed by this layer we call touch. And, and the last one is essentially um, an implementation of open tracing uh, sort of open tracing implementation as applied to data technology. You can describe your system as process acting on data. And what the flow system will do is that it's going to give you like a command center, right? It's going to give you, hey, your data mode from source A, source B was processed by this program into D and from there it moved on. So it actually kind of tries to represent visually the path your data takes in your organization. It's, it's a little bit more involved because the way you do it is through SDKs and APIs, right? It's the most, in, in terms of, uh, you know, implementation perspective, it's the most intrusive, but we believe that unless you do that, you have no idea what your engineers did over the last three years, right? Everybody came in, bought some technology, pumped it all together. Now it's a big ball of wires. And unless you have that information, you really can't take much of an action. So for us, you know, data observability is all of this and not you know, a data quality plus plus or a monitoring plus plus. And so what we have done is, even though it was um, you know, riskier at the time to kind of work on three things parallelly, our belief in this is quite strong. So we said, okay, we're going to invest in building some of these. So out of that, most of our customers now use Pulse. Uh, we have good traction on Torch. We have a few, you know, Lighthouse customers. Some of these are big names, um, you know, big enterprises. We are still kind of in the Lighthouse customer, you know, discussions and discovery phase for Flow. Cool. So with having to API in for uh, Flow and, and the level of involvement you have to get to for Flow to work properly... I imagine you have to have a 
lot of security around that, obviously, dealing with enterprises' data. What does your security function look like? Do you have security as a function at Excel Data? Um, like, uh, what, what, what's your team structure around that? We're, we're learning some of it as we go along, right? So even though there's a lot of agreement between you know, the tech folk on what good architecture should look like, once you kind of ask your customers for how their stack has been laid out, you realize that there's nothing, you know, common in between them, right? Everybody is using AWS in their own way, right? There's, there's some semblance of, you know, repeatability, but more often than not, you know, you have custom pipes between data centers, some of them connecting AWS on the cloud on all the way to their, you know, data centers, all kinds of security uh, restrictions. Uh, so it's, it's hard to build for something like this. So at this point in time, we don't really have a security function. We knew this, right? So we come from an enterprise background. So we understand that uh, this is going to be a problem. So as a part of building even the MVP and you know, going into production, we have kind of been putting some of these practices in, right? So for example, every enterprise that you go into, uh, you know, would or any any company you go into would request you for you know vulnerability scans, penetration test reports, and things like that for your own software which you're going to put in, right? So we have made sure that a lot of this is kind of available from day one because it's it's more or less a prerequisite at this point in time, right? So you've got to have all of the information necessary even before you make a sale to some of these larger customers, right? Otherwise, you're not you know you're you're going to be shown the door immediately after the POC if you can't comply. So it's it's more of a, you know, instead of kind of retrofitting it later, we've we've been kind of putting in putting security and security as a practice with the developers as a part of the product from day one. Of course we can't, you know, do it for all types of customers, but at least we've seen uh, 80 to 90 percent of security concerns. Um, we already have the answers to and the ones we don't have we kind of try to, you know, figure it out. So we have done everything from, you know, installs on data centers using, you know, where kind of downloaded all the images and went to the, during COVID times, actually drove to the data center, installed it, right? We have installed it over the internet. During COVID, we did it over Zoom. And, you know, we have also done air guard installs at this point. So depending on which customer wants what, we've kind of built in those modes already. That's really cool. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, like R and D stuff because I saw that Excel Data has several patents, and recently we were—I I actually got to interview this uh, company called Cactus Communications, which they—they they help like scientists public publish academic papers. Uh, well, that's how they started, and then they also just spun out this huge R and D side of the business called Cactus Labs, and. Um, so that that's just been on my mind. And when I saw that you guys had multiple pat patents, I was just curious, what kind of R&D investments are you making at Excel Data? I think it, it depends. So if you look at the an, an enterprise company or if you look at companies in this space, right, in general data management, right, a lot of companies which have been ultra successful, right? So the Confluence, Databricks, um, something like Snowflake, essentially build on one of two things, right? An existing 
well, you know, well received piece of software. So if you look at, you know, Confluent, you're, you're, you're working off Kafka, which has been around since 2009. And then five years of it being in the wild, you kind of build a company on top of it, right? Because now people have actually already adopted it. If you look at, you know, Databricks is the same story. Dremio is the same story. Starburst is on Presto. So a lot of successful companies have, you know, are building on top of five to six years of uh, open source R&D, right? Whereas we kind of we kind of started off from the scratch. So there's no existing data observability open source solution which exists, which has been widely adopted, and you know all the security patches have been fixed. A um, lot of very intelligent people from different companies like you know Uber, and it's none of it. It's right? starting from scratch. So one of the challenges when you do this is that you gotta be you know, you've got to be talking to customers, you've got to be building product that customer wants, and you've got to also, um, you know, have a product to kind of go to the customer, right? So it's like a cash when you do that. And so what we have been doing is trying to get people who have been at least in the data space for a And since we kind of were from a data background, uh, the first 10 people who joined us from an engineering R&D perspective were, People who have contributed to open source, you know, Apache projects, uh, people who have been involved in the Hadoop ecosystem, either as practitioners, committers, or even operators, right? So a lot of our customer success team comes from a real solid data engineering, data science background, right? So that's kind of helped us, you know, create the core. And at this point in time, um, um, you know, we have we want to double the engineering team. So that's the kind of investment we're looking at. But like I said earlier, due to the domain of data management, you're, so you need to find people who are comfortable doing data engineering and also application programming. You know, It's hard to get people in that space, but the investment, what we want to do over this, this year and the next, we want to at least 2x to 2.5x the current engineering. Wow, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, uh, 2x to 2.5x and like, double the amount of people you have there hiring? Yes. So, um, you know, double or three X the number of people we have in engineering. Oh, um, awesome. In terms of the ambition that we have, right? So if, if you look at what we want to do, we have these three parallel tracks running under one platform umbrella. And, you know, you need, and, and you know, working with really uh, big customers means there's a lot of thinking required, right? How do you actually solve problems? Just like you said, right? How do you solve problems around security, deployment, um, new requests, new ways of looking at things, SDKs. Uh, so the spread is quite wide. And uh, to kind of fulfill this ambition that we have, we kind of need to really 3x the team that we have. And that's been the single largest challenge me as a, you know, CD facing till now. What, what's like one thing that you wish you knew before you started as CTO? Yeah, I think there's, there's a ton of things, right? So um, I think this has been the most challenging thing, you know, I've done purely because I always thought that this is, um, you know, building a company, especially a deep tech company, right? Or a enterprise tech company is a function of getting a lot of smart people together and basically, you know, coding a lot, right? Putting systems together and, you know, building cool stuff, essentially, right? Uh, people 
and and you know going to customers saying hey we have this really cool piece of technology why don't you use it uh, but what i've realized is that just because you think that you know something works for you right doesn't mean it's going to work for the customer and it's the same in in hiring as well just because you think that you know this is the most amazing problem that you can work on it doesn't mean that other people are going to really find value in what you're doing right so in some sense i think what i've been trying to do in my role is to you know take myself out from the architect/programming mindset which i've developed over so many years and put myself in the shoes of other people you know who without them you know you can't really build a company right so even things like hey how do you place your offering right how do you approach the market right how do you look at the solution that we have built from a marketing perspective how do you look at it from a success perspective how do you look at it from a customer's perspective right so um you know customers coming in and asking questions around hey how tell me how it's the you know roi for me it's obvious right i've been in this field for you know so long so things are kind of obvious hey this is of course it's valuable but taking it from a customer's perspective and also from communicating the value of what we are bringing to them so that they find kind of a shared motive right with us as the founding team as the leadership team and then kind of aligning them towards the next 5 years of building something valuable right so um, i think that change in mindset where you go in from an introverted programmer view into more of a you know and management view right where you where you able to empathize with how others look at you your company your placement and their work itself i think has been the biggest shift that i had So as you 2x and 3x your team, how do you make sure you scale the culture and the values that you uh deem really important to the business? I think you got to spend time with people right? as as you scale and this is I I think this is something which which has come about in the last few years because of the you know the persistent need to do things at you know hyperscale right really build fast break fast fail fast um and and then if it doesn't work then try something else and in some sense i think it would work for a lot of people um you know but but for for me i think you got to do something for a long time before you start seeing results on it right and that is not just about you know building a company also about growing any sort of audience right whether it's for data observability whether it's the modern city podcast the first few times that you do it you are going to run into issues so you got to spend time and and that's the same thing you know the same principle you apply to people and to culture as well so what we did is i think um between when we were 10 or 15 people we decided on very few set of things because we really don't know how far and how big it's going to go and we put in you know two things one is we want to get people who are responsible so you know who can operate independently so if i get a customer success manager i expect them to know customer success and to act in the best interest of the company and the second i think important thing which we have try to maintain as we have gone from you know 4 to 6 to 8 to 140 now is that 
we want to be generally nice to each other right so no matter what happens no shouting you know none of it and that right now what we do is you know anybody who joins us um for the first 50 60 hours i've spent time but we make sure at least one uh, or two of the you know leadership team who's been around for a while get to spend time either as a mentor or a manager and spend some time in kind of you know putting in these uh, values as a part of the onboarding or as a part of the mentoring session as they join where you essentially say hey you're empowered to act in the best interest of the company um and you know while kind of having a good time at work but you're not entitled to you know um to to being um rude or you know being a total pain for other people to work with and a lot of it has actually helped us during these the pandemic time because we hired a lot of people whom i've never met right i've probably spoken on on the call and i've never met them in person and um so trying to get some time with everybody and trying to communicate this has been critical uh, and that's worked till now i'm not really sure you know if we become a thousand people how is that going to work but you know what we want to do is hopefully bring in other people who know this better than me right so people who have done this before um and and can kind of you know scale this organization much more effectively while keeping the culture intact well it sounds like you're at a super exciting time at the company growing as fast as you are H- hiring is a a good problem to have just trying to keep up with um everything you want to do so it if there's like data scientists listening that or other people that are listening and excited about what you're talking about how can they get in touch to uh talk to you about joining excel data yes yeah, so um you know these are really exciting times for the company um we have come to a place where i think uh the problem is not about hey you know the two people or do customers find value in the product or the platform i think we have passed that phase we have really good customers and now the problem you know like we discuss is scaling right so we got a go from a startup now to uh, to a company which can get hundreds of customers right and to do that we need to scale all of it together right so we are hiring for engineering customer success data scientists data engineers um you know outbound inbound sales marketing all of it and a lot of these you can find on our career site so if you go to accelerator.io/careers uh, you know you can apply at the website or you can you know um there's also an email over there you can just write to us careers@accelerator.io or you can write to me directly at ashwin@accelerator.io right so and and we'll be more than happy to have the really talented folks come and join us thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin or send me an email joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.